0: We're going to be continuing and wrapping up our sermon series called Longing to Belong. And we've been spending the last several months talking about the desire in us to be connected in right relationship with God and the desire in us to be connected in right relationship with others and the way that God has designed us uh, and the way that when that is missing, that that longing and that loneliness at times that we feel that there's a divine design connected to that is that is supposed to draw us out of isolation and into right relationship and connection with the Lord again, and then to integrate us back into right relationships with others. And so we've been kind of looking a lot of, of uh, kind of the way that God has designed us. We've been looking internally and kind of the way that we have to be transformed and aligned with the plans and purposes of God. A lot of it has been kind of individual focus. It's been something that you could take and you could begin to wrestle out and say, okay, how am I going to respond and what am I going to do with that? But as we close up the series, we're going to move our attention off of just our individual selves, and we're going to talk about the collective. We're going to talk about the community. We're going to talk about you and I together and what it looks like to create belonging what it looks like to create belonging. We're gonna be considering that as kind of a a group of Christ followers, uh, people who are journeying with Jesus. You can think of this collectively as maybe Sterling Four Square Church or other expressions of the church family within our community, but we're gonna be turning our eye to how do we begin to practically do that. We've talked about the need, we've talked about the desire and about how we primarily begin to engage in that with the Lord, but we're gonna look at some practical ways that you and I can begin uh, to do this in a way that's healthy and is enduring. It is something that can last. And when I was thinking about how to uh, how, how belonging in, in within a group is created, and times where maybe I've experienced that, uh, my mind was drawn back in memory to when I was in high school. Uh, and when I was in high school, I had a youth pastor, and his name was Mike. And one of the things that was really unique about Mike and the way that he just led and stewarded this group of high school students is he always had eyes to see those who were who would be considered outside the circle. He could always see the people that nobody else would see. He could always recognize a need in people that other people would Overlook. He could see those who were in need of friendship. He could see those who were in need of practical care. He could see those who needed an expression of compassion. He could see those who didn't feel like they belonged, and he had a way of encountering them and inviting them into a belonging that a lot of us, as, as part of the group, we just we weren't necessarily aware of. And as I was beginning to just kind of think about uh, how, how could he do that and what were the strengths or the motivations of where that came from and, and why was that something that was easy for me to miss, it really came down to uh, uh, the, the recognition of personal need. When I think about Mike's story, Mike was radically saved when he was in high school. He had been the life of the party. He had been one of those primary uh, um, Uh, personalities on his high school campus everybody wanted to hang out with Mike everybody knew Mike and everybody wanted to be uh, a part of what Mike was doing because Mike was party Mike and everybody wanted to be a part of the party and in his junior year of high school he got radically saved like he had an encounter with Jesus and he was instantly transformed and as hard charging as he was at just kind of living life the way that you could do it recklessly he began to hard charge after Jesus like that And he couldn't understand why his enthusiasm for Jesus wasn't being met by the rest of his friends on campus. And he knew what it was like to begin to move in a direction where he was pursuing the things of God and it was beginning to cost him a sense of belonging where he had been the center of all of his social interactions, now he was finding himself on the outside, having to fight for uh, being seen and being heard and being relevant, and so he knew that struggle. He knew fresh what that felt like, and having been only out of high school for a a handful of years before becoming a youth pastor, that was still something that he could recognize. And so it was because of that that he was able to see those who had were currently experiencing something that he had walked through And what i had found in just kind of looking back and thinking in retrospect is when i was in high school and during that time one of the reasons why it was easy for me to miss that altogether was because my relationships were full i I was kind of on the inside and my relationship needs were being met and so it was easy to not see the needs of others And before we move on this morning, I just want to ask you a couple of questions just to be introspective as we begin uh, and and just to think about maybe this is where you presently are, maybe this is what you have experienced before, but I want you to pause for thought and answer these questions for yourself. What does it feel like to find yourself in a place where you don't belong? Not what do you think about that, what does that feel like? Like for some of you, you might be thinking of, of your current place in life. For some of you, you might have to go back. But we would all be able to answer that, to kind of feel like we were out of place. What, is, what does it feel like to be like unseen? What does it feel like to be seen, but it's because you're the only one and you stick out? What does it feel like to try to, lay, to, to raise your voice and to go unhurt, to be dismissed? What does it feel like to have deep needs that go uncared for, or to have a sense that you lack value because you don't have a place? See, I think we, we, can, we can all kind of relate to what that feels like, and although it might feel a little bit differently as far as intensity and the places of our person where maybe that has the most uh, emphasis, and then what, how we express that or, or what we do to kind of push back against that could all be varied, we would all be able to identify what that feels like. And those, those things that cause us to feel that way, when we are unseen, when we're unheard, when we have needs that aren't being met, when we don't feel like we have value, those things create this sense that we're not where we're supposed to be. It creates a sense that we don't belong, which means that those are the very things that the body of Christ has to be aware of and addressing if it's going to be the body of Christ, if it's gonna be a collective community where people are invited to belong, to belong in right relationship with the Lord and to be long in right relationship with one another. And as we close out this series, we've talked a lot about the need, we've talked a lot about the desire, we've talked a lot about the way that God has designed us. And so I think that we've settled the, the, the concept that we need to be connected but what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna address how do we do that together. So whether you're talking about a body of believers uh, out in the community, an expression of a connect group or an equipping class, a, a Sunday morning gathering like this or a Bible study being held on campus or in your workplace, like whenever the body of Christ gathers together, how do we create a sense of belonging that leaves open doors and avenues for people to come and actually belong? We're going to talk about the practicality of how to do that. And primarily what we're going to see this morning through just a short passage in Colossians is that that is going to be determined by relatedness. Belonging is going to be found to be determined by relatedness. It means the way that we interrelate or connect or interact with one another, how we relate to God first and foremost, and we've talked a lot about that in this series, and then how we, as a result of that right relationship, move out and relate to the world around us. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and get those out. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, you should be able to open up your Bible app. You can get there even quicker. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, and beyond that, give us eyes to see. Ourselves through your eyes. Give us eyes to see the world through your eyes. Give us a motivation of uh, the heart, Lord, to be your hands and feet. And Lord, we all long to belong. And so, Lord, help us to be moved by that, to be connected to you. And Lord, to be aware of that need in others, that we would introduce that type of connection in Jesus' name. Amen. If your Bible's out, you can go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple primary verses there this morning, but before we get there, I'm going to set the stage for the book of Colossians, okay? So it's a, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Coloss, and when he begins his letter, he doesn't start with church community, he doesn't chart, start with unity, he doesn't start with the way that people relate to one another, he begins with the supremacy of Christ. He begins with making sure that they have settled this thought that Jesus is in control and that they can be trusting that fact to be true. And he moves on from this idea of the supremacy of Christ to begin to talk about their position as believers. That because Jesus is in control and you are in Christ, your position is secure and you can just kind of take that to the bank. And because your position is secure, he moves to the idea of our freedom in Christ, the way that we can live life differently now as a result of being secure in our identity in Christ because Jesus is in charge. And so he's walking through this. Jesus is in charge. Your identity is in him. You can walk in freedom as a result of that. And then he moves to this idea of personal holiness, Kind of the way of ordering our life and setting our life apart for the things of God in a way that honors Him and begins to give a right representation of the kingdom of God to the world. And so Jesus is in charge. Your identity is in Him. You can walk in freedom, and because you are free to live that way, you can now walk in a way that your personal life demonstrates the truth of the kingdom of God of God. So it's all kind of Jesus-centric, me in Jesus-centric, and then the way that I'm going to live my life. And then it's at that point that he turns his attention to the community of believers. Once the identity has kind of been settled and the activity of life has been oriented with the kingdom of God, now he draws them all together in the letter to say this now is how you are to interact with one another. This is what the community is supposed to look like. This is what unity looks like. This is what the belonging together is experienced as. And so he moves to that place. In Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 12. We're going to read 12 to 14 and we're going to begin to unpack this this morning. Therefore, okay, and that therefore is casting back to all of what I just told you came before. All right? So you're all caught up. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity so Paul in his letter, moving from the supremacy of Christ to me living a holy life, makes this transition to how does, the, how does the church function? How does the body of believers, how does the collective of Christ followers, how do they interact with one another? And we're going to see four things here that are very, very practical that are going to be things that reinforce belonging, reinforce what it looks like to be held together in collective unity. And they're not the only four things that we could attend to. There's certainly other ways that you can create belonging. You can uh, do that through a number of different avenues, but we're staying very, very simple and very, very Jesus-centered this morning as we get practical. And the first way that you create belonging in a group of Christ followers is you have to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus. You have to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write that down. As he moves to begin to, to talk about the community, the, the way that the church is supposed to function, before he starts talking about the activity and the relatedness, he talks about identity. Therefore, as God's what? Chosen people, holy and dearly loved then he moves on to the way that this is enacted in the group but he starts with identity and there's actually there's three identity statements that are being made here by Paul then the first one is this that you are chosen by God you are chosen by God and it's really important for us to land on what Paul is saying here because most of us hear something like this that God has those who are chosen and I'm not chosen, right? Do you, do you ever suffer under that idea when you hear about the chosen or the predestined and you feel like all of God's plans and purposes and promises are for everybody? You can believe that for everybody else, but not for you. Because a lot of times we hear there are God's chosen people and then there's me because we're fully aware of our fault and our failure, the places that we've come up short And some of us are still traumatized from elementary dodgeball where we were chose last for the team but hit first in the face by the rubber ball, right? And we're still like reeling from that idea that somehow that we weren't chosen. We've all been in that place. Every one of you have been in the place where you were not chosen. And we carry, like we carry the residual fallout from that often. And when Paul talks about being God's chosen people, Okay, Paul's favorite descriptor of what it means for you and I to be what we would say is a Christian, right? Or born again. His favorite way to describe that is this that you are in Christ. His favorite phrase is to describe it positionally and linked to identity. And in fact, in the book of Ephesians, when he begins that letter to the church in Ephesus, there's some statements that he makes where he'll say that, that in Christ you are chosen. In Christ you are predestined. He uses that type of language, but it's always anchored to this identity in Christ. And that's a statement that he's making here, that when he is saying that you are God's chosen people, it is because you are secure in Christ Jesus, it's an identity statement, and it means that you have a place in the kingdom. You have a place in the family, that you belong, and that you are already actually seated in that place. And so he says, chosen by God. And then he moves on from there, right? God's chosen people, and then he uses the word holy. And the statement here is, therefore, as God's chosen people, as those who are holy, He makes another statement here, and that idea of holy, it doesn't mean that you get it right all the time. It doesn't mean that somehow that you are without flaw or fault. Holiness primarily means to be set apart for specific use. The statement that Paul is making here is that you have been chosen by God, and you have also been set apart in Christ by God. That you have been set apart, and then he follows it up with this idea that you are dearly loved. These are all identity statements. These aren't things that you've earned. These aren't things that you've contrived for yourselves. They're not things that you have developed as capacities or that you've contributed towards. These are all identity statements of who you are, and primarily they are dependent upon Jesus and not on you. You are chosen, you are set apart, and you are loved. And it's out of the certainty of this identity that we're supposed to relate to one another and Paul starts there because here's the deal you can move you can skip this identity piece and you can go to write the kind of the list of the dues right this is the stuff you're supposed to do clothe yourself with compassion and you can say this week oh man I'm going to be so compassionate and you'll probably do it for a little bit or selectively right conditionally But can you do it unconditionally, long-term, indefinitely? Mm, No. We've tried that. You could say, man, I'm going to be kind this week. Monday's coming. We'll see what happens. (laughs) I'm going to walk in humility this week. Nobody's going to be more humble than I am. Oh, wait a minute. Just messed up. See, like when when we go about it as we're going to try to accomplish these things, we're going to fall short. So Paul starts with this identity statement. If we do not relate to others out of who we are in Christ, we're not going to demonstrate any of these things that create a sense of belonging. We won't be able to do them with any real endurance. They'll be fleeting and temporal, short-lived and conditional, and they'll be less than what God has designed because in the identity statement here that paul's making are three truths about you that's really helpful number one is that because you've been chosen in christ it means that you have a place you you belong when he says that you are holy in christ not only do you have a place but you have a purpose To be holy, that, that word, it means to be set apart for a specific activity or event. It's a statement of purpose. And to understand that you are loved by God, you have place, you have purpose, and you have value. And when I am convinced of those things, of my own person, then all the places where my flesh and insecurity comes in and disrupts my ability to have real community and create a real sense of belonging for others to extend grace and goodness and space for them to be in their own transformation process. It, it, it happens when I am secure in my identity and to the degree that I am like having a problem with this is to the degree that I just kind of float those problems downstream to everybody else. And so Paul starts with you have to see yourself through the eyes of Jesus. And then he moves from there and he says this: He says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And this isn't an exhaustive list. In fact, some of these you would find as expressions of fruit of the spirit that he would identify in other places. Oftentimes these concepts are things that he kind of weds together in others of his letters where he says to be compassionate and to respond in this way or to be humble and respond to this way, often connecting the idea of patience and forgiveness together. He's, He's bridging all of these things. But he tells us to clothe ourselves with that, to put that on, that there's kind of like an activity, there's an intention to do that. But there's a phrase that Paul uh, 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 connects to the idea of clothing more often than these types of things. And I don't know how versed you are in your New Testament or how much you would be drawn to this type of a conclusion, but very often when Paul says to clothe yourself with something or to put on something, there's some places where there's lists of virtues like this and the way that we're supposed to act, but frequently he would say something like this that comes out of Romans chapter 13, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the new Self. You are a new creation. Clothe yourself in robes of righteousness. In this event here, he's talking about some practical ways that living, uh, living life with Jesus gets expressed. But this metaphor of clothing yourself primarily is often used to address put on Jesus. Put on the reminder of who you are in Christ. And better than that, as you see yourself through the eyes of Jesus, begin to see others through the eyes of Jesus. To create a sense of belonging in in the body of Christ, for a church to really do that and to do it well and to do it right, individuals within the church we have to begin to see ourselves through the lens of Jesus more and more deeper and deeper and become greater and greater convinced of that truth and then that as that resonates and settles in us we begin to look at the people across from us and next to us around us through that same lens that they have a place that they have a purpose that they have value And when we begin to relate to people through that lens and to treat people in that way, you feel like you belong. There's a place for me here. And there's a purpose for me here. And I have value here. And so those things come together. And then Paul moves from this idea of kind of seeing ourselves through that lens and seeing others through that lens and just having it practically expressed around us is in a, in a few minutes he's going to move to, I think, a more difficult expression of that, and that has to do with forgiveness. But when we move back to this idea of seeing people through the eyes of Jesus, one of the things that happens is the list of things in that verse, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, they become the natu- natural expressions of the way that we interact and relate towards people. Now you can do that kind of on your own. You can, uh, you can act compassionately or you can act out an, uh, an activity of compassion. But again, it's different when we begin to live through this lens and it can be something that is long term. And compassion has a lot to do with beginning to see people through the lens of Jesus, to, to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And what it does is it recognizes recognizes need. When I go back and I think about Pastor Mike and his ability to look and see those who were missing, those who weren't represented, those who were on the outside, and to draw them to hope in Jesus, it's because he could actually, he could see, he could perceive the need that was there. There was a way to see the need. On Thursday night, I was uh, at the campus at NJC there's a, a Christian community um, that's been gathering there. There's a club on campus called The Source. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of it or you know what's going on, but there are a ton of college kids at that school that love Jesus and love one another and are praying and moving and being the hands and feet on that campus. And it's exciting and it's fun to watch and be a part of. And I've made it uh, part of my routine to try to be there as frequently as possible and so on Thursday I was just I was just there and I wasn't speaking I didn't have a role I was just like hanging out pretending I was young right like hey what's up youths like I'm still hip to this stuff right and they're gracious and allow me to to uh, to to hang out um, but this idea of being able to see people through the eyes of Jesus and seeing needs that others don't recognize I saw demonstrated very tangibly on that night where there was one gentleman who uh, has uh, some some challenges and some troubles that he's been trying to walk through and he's been consistent in coming and being connected to that ministry but he's he's got a lot of he's got a lot of need for spiritual breakthrough and there was a point in the evening where he was just kind of kind of done it was winding down and and he was just ready to leave and to exit on his own and he was just going to go about what was taking place, and the group that I was in, we were still kind of talking and praying, and there was an individual who was a member of our group who, who saw that exit. She, she saw the need, and she just immediately she got up and she went, and she intervened in that exit, and she engaged in conversation and ministry that, that nobody else was really that aware of, and then as we became aware, maybe we weren't comfortable being a part of that, but there was a very, very tangible and practical expression of what it means to have eyes to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And it was just, it was a beautiful reminder of what it looks like to be looking for opportunity to be used by the Lord. And it was something that was moved and motivated by compassion wasn't something that needed to happen. It didn't have to happen. There was no, uh, there was no reason in a sense of having to kind of keep things uh, in order or going. It was something that was just motivated by I see a need. I'm going to go see if I can be part of meeting that need. And so we've got to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And then it moves us to a place where there's two other things that we're going to look at quickly that contributes towards creating a sense of belonging in the church family and it gets more difficult the further we go but in verse 13 it says bear with each other and that word to bear with one another it means to like stay together and grind it out it's like don't don't give up just hold fast and like endure until the end against all odds like it's a pretty challenging type of a word but bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the Lord forgave you and for a body of believers for a for a body of believers to truly be a place where belonging is being created there has to be a willingness to forgive like Jesus like to forgive like Jesus and this this is challenging because at the heart of uh, forgiving like Jesus is the need to address conflict in a healthy way And we don't like conflict and we don't like dealing with it and so very often it's not forgive like Jesus it's forget that person and it leaves people with a sense of feeling like they don't belong it leaves fracture and disunity in the church and even if somebody doesn't vacate a church body they disengage from relationship and it's honestly it's about the same thing it's about the same thing. Now, I don't want to step too hard on toes, but, but engaging in a, a, a Sunday morning service and being a part, but not being connected in any tangible way to any other believer and just kind of coming and doing your thing on your own, just kind of with Jesus, it has some value, but I can tell you it doesn't have very much. It's not doing a lot for the kingdom of God. It may be doing a lot for you, in the way that you feel and perceive your spirituality, but there's not a lot of fruit that's born out of just individual participation in religious expression. And forgiveness is something that knits together a community. Forgiveness is something that knits together a community to give it a strength to endure difficulty. And at the heart of that is this idea of being able to address conflict in a healthy way. I was talking to my grandpa one time just about church and church hurt, like he grew up in the church and so did I. And I've shared with you guys that my, my deepest woundings and my biggest challenges have all come at the hands of the church. It's all people who love Jesus who have hurt me the most. That's the reality of uh, my life, and it's mostly because that's most of the people that I hung out with. So if I spent my whole life just living in the world, I'd be able to say, well, it was, the world hurt me. Uh, but most of it was, was Jesus' people. But there's this, there's this element of conflict that we oftentimes shy away from. And my grandpa, he had just made this comment. I had written it down. He said, conflict does not have to result in combat. See, but we almost can't, differentiate between the two because we know that conflict says that there's something wrong and if there's something wrong then i've got to fight and there's got to be a winner and a loser and that's actually not accurate and so in the church body in uh, interaction with believers there has to be a way for us to address conflict in a healthy way jesus addresses this in matthew chapter 18 where he says if your brother or sister sins go and point out their fault. Now it's important to recognize that what Jesus is saying here is that when there is an offense between you and another person, go and deal with that. He's not giving you license to be the morality hall monitor for the world and to go blast people on Facebook. That's not what he's saying. It's not your job to police the world for morality. What it is your job is to recognize when there's offense or hurt between you and another and to deal with it effectively and initially as quickly as possible. That's the instructions that being given here just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. So often, small offenses turn into giant offenses because they weren't addressed when they were little to begin with and there's a whole host of assumptions that come into play and there's a lot of talking about the problem but we don't talk about the problem with the person, we just talk about the person as the problem with another and then it gets something that it never was. And then you move on from there and there's kind of some concentric circles about if there's not an ability to reconcile, if there's not an ability for things to be repaired, how to bring others and to bring accountability into it And sometimes what you discover is that the person who did that or said that to you or about you, no, they actually did mean it that way, and they're hoping to hurt you as much as possible. That's actually part of the story, too, and that's a hard thing to have to reconcile. But more often than not, there are small things that we allow to get out of control because we just didn't deal with them in a healthy way to begin with. And so Jesus' invitation is always to go and to clear things up, to be truthful and honest and to work towards reconciliation but ultimately what it looks like is we end up forgiving as we have been forgiven by the Lord and that's why again going back to your identity in Christ and going back to what he has done in your life has to be the primary motivator for the way that you deal with others because I can like I can harbor unforgiveness I can hold on to a memory for a long time But when I'm reminded of the great grace that I've been extended by the Lord then I am more apt to extend grace to the other person when I when I'm honest before the Lord about how much he's forgiven me then I am more motivated to go and to offer that forgiveness to others and that doesn't excuse the offense it doesn't say that it didn't happen it doesn't pretend like those things aren't a part of the story none of that is healthy addressing of conflict but it does mean that the more that I understand who I am in Christ and what I have received from him, the more I am apt to extend that to others. And when I do that, I create a place of belonging. Here's something that I found really interesting. I cannot think of a situation in where Jesus told somebody that they didn't belong and to go away. I, I can't think of one I can't think of a time where he dismissed somebody, where he severed relationship, where he sent them away. Like, you'd be hard-pressed to have to even spin a story to come up with that kind of idea. And even when he brought harsh correction and harsh rebuke and when he gave people a lens to see their own fault and failure and he was bringing about uh, a, a difficult word, it was never dismissive. It never said a relationship and it never suggested that they didn't belong with him. And so for you and I, I think that that's an important thing for us to note. And then the last thing that Paul says over all these virtues, put on love. We've gotta be able to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. We've gotta begin to see others through the eyes of Jesus. We've gotta be willing to forgive like Jesus and we've gotta be able to love like Jesus. And so for you and I to be a community that creates belonging for others, where we can see the need where we're moved and motivated by compassion while we're secure in our identity and we know who we are in Christ, that we know our place and we know God's plans and purposes for us and we know that we have value. All of that gets brought back to that foundation of Jesus, his work in us and through us and the certainty of our identity in that. And so that's where we're going to close this morning. Church family, if you would stand, we're going to entertain a few questions and allow the Lord to begin to search our hearts and to draw us to action steps this week. Lord, as we set aside these next few moments, we invite you to search our hearts. And Lord, to bring um, an awareness to our hearts and our minds of our need and how you would call us to respond today. Lord, some of us would feel like the outsider We would feel like the person who is struggling to find their place struggling to be seen or heard struggling to understand your plans and purposes and maybe you're feeling like we don't have value lord would you meet those hearts in that place this morning Lord, for some of us, we may be full in our relationships and we, we may have struggles and, and difficulty in seeing the needs around us. Lord, would you open our eyes? Lord, some hearts today may be wrestling with their identity. They may not understand themselves as being secure in Christ. They may not understand that they've been set apart Or even that they're loved. Lord, would you speak to those hearts today? Lord, some of my friends here might be wrestling with conflict in their lives. Maybe they've withheld forgiveness and that's starting to fester and create bitterness in their own lives. Lord, maybe there's an issue that's out in front of them and they're not sure how to respond. They don't want to create combat, and so they're thinking of drawing away, but Lord, they're, they're risking leaving it unresolved. Or would you give them discernment and courage? And Lord, as we entertain these next few questions, would you give us ears to hear you speak to us this morning? Church family, the first question I would encourage you to consider is this, is how, how would your life be lived differently this week? if you were to walk in the confidence of who you are in Christ? If you were confident in your place, if you were confident in God's design and purpose, you were confident that you have value and that he loves you, how would you live your life differently if you walked in that confidence instead of the insecurities that often impact us? Second question is, what would your interactions with others be look like, how would they change if you began to see them through the eyes of Jesus? That classmate, that teammate, that coworker, that community member? How would your interactions with them change if you began to see them through the eyes of Jesus? And the third question is how, how might your care be demonstrated if you were moved by compassion? you were moved by compassion. Jesus, we recognize that our need for these things to be a part of the way that we live our life is only gonna be met in you. So we come to you first, Jesus, and we ask you to help us to live this out. Jesus, I thank you that you give us a place to belong in the kingdom, that you've done what's necessary for us to be in Christ, that you've set us apart for your plans and purposes, that we have incredible value because we are deeply loved. And so because of that, Lord, because of that, help us to begin to create that sense of belonging in our church family in our expressions of small group in the community, in our interactions with other believers. Lord, that we would be known as a place where a longing to belong is fulfilled in the presence of God and in the presence of His people. In Jesus' name, amen. Action steps for you this week. There's three up here. You can snap a picture with your smartphone or your tablet if you want to remember or catch them online later on. The first one is this. Begin to ask Jesus to help you to see others through his eyes. Second step is to ask Jesus to give you a heart of compassion, his heart of compassion for the world around you. And then the number three, from those two places, begin to look for opportunities to be an encouragement to those around you.